Welcome to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Your host is Bernard E. Robinson. Bernard and his guests foster in-depth discussions about leadership. You'll find this program a powerfully engaging platform for great conversations about leadership and leadership learning. Now, here is your host, Bernard Robinson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Leadership Forum. I'm your host, Bernard Robinson, and I thank you for joining me this morning. We have a great show for you today. My guest today is Anders Erickson, Dr. Anders Erickson. Dr. Anderson, Dr. Erickson, I should say, excuse me, is presently karate eminent scholar and professor of psychology at Florida State University. He's edited the Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance, which will come out in a second edition this fall. His most recent book, however, the one we are going to speak about today and explore today, is Peak, P-E-A-K, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise, which Dr. Erickson co-authored with Robert Poole. Dr. Erickson is a fellow of the Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences of the American Psychological Association and the Association for Psychological Science, and also a member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Engineering Sciences. Dr. Erickson, welcome to the Leadership Forum. I'm looking forward to our discussion today, and I'm excited about your being here and talking about and learning more about the research and ideas in your book, Peak Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Bernard. I'm also looking forward to talking to you about these issues. Dynamite, great deal, good deal. Uh, I want to start, though, first, before jumping right into the discussion, is to ask you, in the wake of the hurricane that's uh, just hit Florida pretty hard, I wanted to ask you how you're doing and how the faculty and student community they're doing uh, at Florida State University. Uh, Florida State is uh, located in Tallahassee in the northern parts of Florida, so we, we really weren't really that uh, kind of affected by the hurricane. Uh, the university was closed last week, but uh, there's very little major damage in, in our particular area, uh, but we certainly have seen the damage that was done to the southern parts of our state. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad that the report is better where you are. We know other folks are still trying to make do and make manage and get things back to, to normal, so I'm glad that all is okay and that you're back uh, at the work you do there at the university today. Now, as we get started with our conversation today, uh, the title that uh, we put forth for this program is The Not-So-Secret Requirements to Becoming a Top Performer. Now, as the title of the program suggests, the secret to improve performance is really not so secret after all. And in fact, which will happen in our conversation, during our conversation about your book, you're going to unveil, if you will, this whole notion of expertise and performance. I'd like our listeners to know that they are welcome to join in our conversation because we want them to be able to learn about the principles and the practices in your book so they can use them to improve their performance as performers and as leaders. Dr. Erickson, your book expands the level of knowledge about performance improvement. Please begin by telling us uh, what made you write this book and what did you hope to accomplish by, by writing it? Well, you know, I've been studying uh, exceptional performance now for about 30 years, and 
I've had discussions with Robert Poole, who is a science writer, for maybe about 10, 15 years. And, and we basically got to a point where, you know, we thought it would be interesting here to kind of try to uh, put together all this research and share it uh, with the more general public, because most of the writing that I've done up to this point, you know, is uh, directed to the academic uh, community. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, uh, that was kind of the idea here, and, and, and Robert and I had a really good time. Uh, you know, I was trying to explain myself, and he basically was writing, and then we interacted around that. Uh, and I think as a result, or at least that's what people are telling us, you know, they really found that we were able to kind of communicate in, in a way here that was practically useful for people. You know, what is it that you can actually do to improve some specified uh, achievement or performance. Terrific. Well, listen, as I mentioned in my, in my note earlier to you, uh, as we were preparing for the show today, your book is chock full of information and it's chock full of real good tips on how to improve uh, the performance and the expertise in a certain area. I must say, when I first started reading the book, uh, I was curious about it because immediately, immediately you can see the connection between what you're writing about and not only performance, but in learning. So I, I wondered why you chose the word expertise rather than the new science, for example, of learning, because it seems like they're kind of connected. Uh, so which, what, what made you say expertise as opposed to learning? Well, you know, uh, I think when it came to the title, uh, we spent a lot of time with uh, our agent and publisher, and and I think they were uh, pretty much, uh, you know, wanting to communicate that this was different. There's so many books on learning, and a lot of those books refer to general education, and and I guess uh. what what is really unique here about our book is that we're more directly, you know, focusing in on professional and work-life type of achievement along with, you know, basically being good at games and sports and, you know, arts. Uh, so, so I think that was kind of the idea here that we wanted to make it clear here that this was not another book here on how to be a better student. Understood. Well, good deal. And, and it certainly uh, makes sense to me now. I didn't capture it as well as you just captured when I looked at it. I say, well, this is really about learning, but I get I get it very clearly. It does distinguish uh, that whole notion of expertise because, of course, in most areas, there's a whole discussion now about the the issue of competency, and and so that was another word that came to my mind. In the beginning of your book, uh, in the section entitled "The Gift," you state, "quote People may say he is so gifted." or she has a real gift, but it's not the gift that people assume it to be. Most importantly, it is a gift that every one of us is born with and can, with the right approach, take advantage of. What is it that the gifted have that we all have? Well, I think what we're showing throughout the book is that, you know, High levels of performance is never something that you're born with, uh, but we can always find kind of a training history uh, that basically can explain how some people are very good at uh, various activities. And, and I think that's really what the book is about. 
you know, when you look at those individuals that you admire, and then you actually look at the biographical background and what it is that they did, we can actually pinpoint certain factors that we believe explains, you know, this uh, superior performance that are at least necessary for somebody to reach uh, these very high levels. Uh, and, uh, sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. Correct. Uh, and, and, and even when you look at abilities that people think, you know, occur at a relatively young age, uh, and I guess we start out the book by talking about perfect pitch, this ability that some famous musicians uh, exhibited where they can actually have somebody play uh, a tone on a piano and, and they can actually tell you exactly which note that is when it's presented in isolation. Okay. And, uh, and what's interesting now is that when people actually started to look at what it is that you need in order to develop those abilities, what you find is that any child can apparently learn how to do this if they get the right kind of in experience and instruction when they're between three and five. Uh, but after that, it seems like the brain is changing its organization. So if you haven't acquired the skill uh, before five, then it becomes much harder to achieve that type of performance. Good deal. Well, listen, it sounds like we, the good news is that whatever your age, if you're past five, there is an opportunity for you to continue to gain. You're not necessarily limited by, quote unquote, the gift that you think you don't have. But in fact, you all have the gift of being able to continue to gain and get to this place where you have a higher performance and, quote, quote unquote, the perfect pitch for some areas that are important to you. Now, you mentioned that the word uh, perfect pitch, and in fact, in your book, on several occasions in several places, you mentioned the notion of gaining the perfect pitch uh, in, in perhaps any area of import, importance or performance, I should say. You, you also wrote about that concept. So what is the concept of perfect pitch that you were just describing? Uh, and if you would, how does it relate to leadership learning or leadership performance? But what is the concept of perfect pitch first? Well, I think perfect pitch is a, is a very specialized ability, and what people have found, which is interesting, is that some languages, tonal languages, for example, they actually require you to be able to make these pitch distinctions, so you can actually recognize which of the 64 different tones that are typically basically shown on a piano that's being played. Mm -hmm. Now, that I think I would argue this is an exception, but even those kinds of exceptional abilities, uh, what we find is that you can actually find now sort of a experiential uh, background that sort of explains how they come about. The vast okay. majority of abilities, and especially when we're talking about professional performance, you know, those are acquired when individuals are way above 18. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's actually where you see this differentiation where the very successful individuals, you know, keep improving. But the vast majority of individuals on a job after the first couple of years, they don't seem to actually change their ability to perform. And I think that's where I believe that we have some interesting information to provide people that basically improvement doesn't happen naturally. Uh, you can actually, you need to do special things in order to actually change uh, your performance. Oh, absolutely. And it. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I do some training in a leadership development program. In fact, we finish out and close out in about uh, a month out in, in New Mexico. And it's a group of uh, leaders to be, if you will. And one of the things that we have spoken to about them is this whole notion of growing beyond the end of the class and actually creating a plan and a process for continuing to develop your capacity to be an effective leader. So when you look at what you're describing, this whole notion of continuing to grow and whole notion of becoming an effective performer, whether leader or otherwise, is something that you have to really work at and you can be successful in that work, if I'm hearing you properly. That, that's exactly right. And, and, and just to take one example that I think is interesting, uh, they did some research on ice skaters and contrasted the very best ice skaters from those that were kind of below that level and looked at what they were doing during training. And what they found was that the sort of the sub-elite or the less uh, accomplished skaters, they actually looked like they were doing better during training because what they were doing was just repeating the kinds of things that they already knew. Mm -hmm. uh, the very best skaters, you know, they were actually pushing their limits. And that mm -hmm. means falling and basically, you know, really kind of being at the limit and pushing it beyond what you used to be able to do. And that's kind of what seems to set apart. And we find the same thing in medicine, that if you want to improve your ability to diagnose patients, you need to basically put yourself in a situation where you can actually get feedback about mm -hmm. basically what the differences of diagnose of, of symptom structures that basically uh, you know, different patients would have. So okay. if you're going to change... You need to do something different than just keep doing what you have been doing. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we did in a program earlier, we talked about these levels of learning, levels of competence. And what you're describing, it looks like there's a level at which is called unconsciously competent, where you just do what you do because you're just good at it. And you don't necessarily know why you're so good. But you continue to stretch yourself. There's a danger point we talk about in terms of what's called a red zone. But nonetheless, this whole notion of just moving and pushing the boundaries and, and growing sounds like it's, you know, the whole notion of lifelong learning makes sense now because you can continue to grow, continue to learn as long as you have the capacity to, to think and learn, I should say. Now, in your book, uh, as we look at this, the idea of perfect pitch and move beyond there, you make a mention of at least four different principles, I guess I should call them, perhaps concepts. And those, those are specifically harnessing adaptability uh, and cognitive adaptability, if you will, mental representation, the power of purposeful practice, and principles of deliberate practice. Now, rather than explain those in isolation, what I thought might be neat to do to bring these concepts and principles alive for, for myself, yourself, and the listeners is to ask you to describe how each of them work in the context of being or becoming a great teacher. Uh, I thought about teaching because that's what you do, and I do a bit of it as well. But teachers, perhaps in the lives of every one of us, who have ever been to school at any level. So uh, as a teacher, everyone can probably identify that. So if I wanted to be or become a great teacher, how would these concepts of harnessing adaptability, 
the mental representation, the power of purposeful practice and deliberate practice, how would they fit in? Does that make sense to you in terms of how I'm trying to position Yeah, this? no, no, I think that's great. You okay. know, and, and I think basically the big challenge with a lot of uh, professional uh, uh, performers is that it's kind of hard to objectively assess here how well you're doing, uh, except basically making an impression uh, by yourself right. or having colleagues coming in and looking at you. Mm-hmm. So what is kind of unique by, of, with our approach is this idea that we can actually objectively measure how good a teacher is by if we have some goals now that the teacher Set, let's say a fifth grade math teacher, uh, they basically need to master certain types of mathematical problems. Mm-hmm. We can actually test them, and that's basically what's now being done. You know, so you tested one year and then the next year, and now you can basically see how much did the students improve during the year that you were their teacher. Okay. And we can actually measure and compare that to your colleagues. And and what we find is that some teachers, they seem to be much more successful here in improving their students' performance. Mm-hmm. And I think what's key here is that once you start, you know, formulating the problem, how can you actually improve the students' performance? Mm-hmm. It, it's not something that you can do by giving tremendous lectures you're actually going to have to make them change their brains so they actually will be able to do things that they couldn't do before. Good deal. And, and that's, that's where basically now being engaged with the students and what we find is that the best teachers, they're the ones who actually are having a personal relationship with the students. Where Dr. The students Dr. Feel, Erickson? Yes. We're going, to, we're going to come up on a break here in a minute, so I want to prepare you for that. In about 30 seconds, we're going to take a break, but I'd like you to continue, and we'll cut our conversation off and come back after the break. But I wanted to let you know we're coming up on a break in about uh, 15 seconds. Oh, okay. So, so the idea here is the more that you can actually motivate the students to engage in the training activities that will improve their performance, that seems to be the essence of being a very good teacher. Very good. Well, listen, uh, we're going to take a break. And so after the break, we'll pick back up on our conversation. Uh, I'm Bernard Robinson. This is the Leadership Forum. Stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. 
Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. To reach host Bernard E. Robinson or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you would rather send an email, you may send it to leadershipforum at ihdinc.org. Now, back to the Leadership Forum. Welcome back, everyone. And, And if you're just joining us, Our guest today is Dr. Anders Erickson. He is a professor of psychology at Florida State University, and we're discussing his most recent book and lots of the points that are in that book, Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise, which is co-authored with Robert Poole. Before the break, we were talking about becoming an effective or outstanding teacher and we were integrating into that discussion the uh, the notion of uh, purposeful practice and deliberate practice and whole notion of mental representation. So uh, I've asked Dr. Anderson just to continue with the discussion as we move into the second segment and talk with us and integrate those concepts in terms of talking about being uh, a great teacher. So go right ahead, Dr. Anderson. I mean, Dr. Okay. Anderson, thank you. Uh, so before the break, I was just saying that it- very good teacher is somebody who can help the students improve their performance on whatever task uh, the teacher is uh, trying to help them with. And once you realize that it's the students that need to change, it becomes important here that the teacher is somebody who is motivating the students to change. And also, the teacher, a good teacher, is somebody who can understand the problems that an individual student has. So by having the student think out loud about what they're thinking about the problem, the teacher will be able now to kind of help them clarify concepts. So basically that idea that a good teacher is somebody who can actually help students overcome obstacles and actually improve now their performance. Okay. And, let, and, let me ask and, you. Go right ahead. Let me ask you this question, though. As you talk about, what, how does purposeful practice fit in for the teacher being able to do what you just described better? Right. And so if we take one thing, like your ability to diagnose what problems that a given student is struggling with, that is an ability that we know that we can actually specifically train. Mm. So, so once you have set a goal here, your ability to diagnose students who are struggling and helping them uh, basically understand now how to uh, solve problems that is an ability that you can improve and we can improve that outside of the classroom. So given that 
problems with students, you know, happen only occasionally. Imagine if you had a video bank with basically video interviews with students with math problems. Mm -hmm. And then basically you could now actually see what you would be doing. And then you could actually get feedback about somebody who worked with that student and was able to help that student understand and now you can actually, maybe in an afternoon, get as many experiences here of helping students understand difficult concepts on some topic of mathematics. Cool, cool. And other things... Other things that we know that people have trained, because this is one thing that separates the best teachers, those who can actually help the students learn more, our, our teachers, when they're monitoring the classroom, they can identify students who are starting to lose concentration. Mm -hmm. and, and before they actually start interfering with other students and thereby creating a major problem for in the classroom, the good teachers are able to identify that and then basically go up to this student and then actually help that student before they get sidetracked. Good deal, uh, good and deal. that's, again, uh, something that you can use videos for to help teachers, you know, identify early signs and then basically be able to intervene in a more effective way. So let me see if I understand the process, if you will. So I, I purposely uh, practice the notion of diagnosing students' capacity. I then get practice doing that. I practice the process of diagnosing a student's capacity to perform, I then get feedback on what I have learned, if you will, by virtue of this deliberate practice. I actually, I guess, have to get feedback from someone who is looking at me and listening to me provide this instructional support. And that process, if you will, if I'm understanding it, the purposeful practice deliberate practice, feedback, they sound to be all a part of, again, the overall system or structure of getting better. Right. Identify an aspect and then basically focus in on a training activity where you would be able to do that with immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and, and basically what we argue is that an individual teacher can you know, work on themselves trying to get better. Okay. But where we make the difference between purposeful feed uh, uh, practice and deliberate practice is when you actually have a teacher that can rely on scientific evidence on what type of training that would actually be the most effective for you. Okay. And when it comes to teaching, I would argue that there's still too many arguments here about exactly how you would go about training some of these uh, abilities. Uh, so we don't really have reached that level of deliberate practice yet. Okay. But in music, uh, where they've had you know several centuries of actually refining now the type of training that would allow a pianist to be able to play very complex uh, pieces of music, there you know you could really talk about deliberate practice because now the teacher can draw on these vast uh, mm -hmm. knowledge base of what type of practice would be useful if you have a difficulty basically playing this uh, sequence of notes. Okay. Let me ask this now as we kind of look at this notion. I want to switch a, a bit and switch our conversational focus, if you will, to not teachers but leaders. How do you see these same 
principles applying to and becoming a more effective leader. I, I, I wonder if it's just the same process or if there's a twist on it. So how do you see these same principles being applied to the notion of becoming a more effective leader? Well, I would argue that based on my current uh, work and consultation, I guess there are two areas that I know enough to be able to kind of give you specifics, and that's surgical teams, where mm -hmm. the surgeon leads kind of a team, right. uh, and in a sense is a leader. And what we see here is that the very kind of most successful surgeons, they seem to rely on things like videotaping the surgery, and obviously, before they even do the surgery, if there is time, they would actually look at all the imagery and plan and think about contingencies of difficulties and stuff. But then they actually videotape the actual surgery, and then they review that surgery to identify things that happened that actually were aversive in the sense that if you could have avoided those things, mm -hmm. you would actually have a better outcome. And, and I have a couple of examples of surgeons who've been doing this for like 12 years. And what's interesting is that the frequency of these averse outcomes is actually decreasing. And, okay. and on and some occasion, you know, they would actually identify one of the team members who have a difficulty. And then that team member can go off and train, you know, basically being able to understand here what other people need so they can actually be appropriate anticipating here okay. what needs to be done good deal uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the other uh, domain would be sports teams where you right. actually are talking coaches and I would argue that in this sort of a similar way here that the success of a surgical team uh, can be measured here in the success of the outcomes of the patients mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. a sports team uh, you would argue basically that the outcome of the success and wins and and other outcome measures, that's really the measure here of how well the team performs. Okay. And, and people are now basically being able to, in some sports, be able to estimate the value of individual players. So now you can basically see here, does a given coach add value to the mm -hmm. outcome of the team once you control for the individual performances of the athletes. Okay. Uh, now, now, let me ask you, let me break, break in because I think uh, I have a, a cue now as to how to keep the translation moving towards, like the surgical team, towards the leadership. Because in many cases, if I'm hearing it right, and this is done, by the way, but leaders, while they may not be taping themselves in the process of leading, they do need to get feedback and do need to examine, if you will, the impact that they're having on the workers by virtue of the way those workers, followers, if you will, perform. So that sounds like the method that could be used, leaders could use, to really take time to examine what the impact is that they have. Now, often you'll see, and I do a bit of leadership coaching, we actually use these 360-degree multi-rater uh, instruments so that we can get feedback as to how you are experienced by those who are following you as a method for you to really examine, if you will, how effective you are as a leader. And it sounds like while they don't have a, a video camera, they do have 
the video camera that comes through the eyes of the followers. Would that be akin to uh, the way a leader could get real clear notion of where they need to improve and then, then begin to apply these concepts of deliberate practice and purposeful practice in a way that would make it, let's say, better for them and allow them to improve their performance in the leadership areas where they're not as strong. Uh, I, I agree with you, uh, although if somebody were to kind of contact me, I think that idea of videotaping, say, meetings where you're actually seeking consensus agreement here of a plan of action, Right. that basically... Because I think there is a communication problem sometimes mm -hmm. where, you know, the leader views something in one way and the people who are basically, you know, suggesting alternatives uh, may be viewing it in a different way. different way. So having that videotape, I think, will actually help clarifying okay. how one would have been more constructively able to elicit mm. information that would now basically be useful for the group as opposed to maybe doing mm -hmm. it in a form that right. would be viewed as yeah. criticism as opposed mm -hmm. to a more constructive addition here to uh, some kind of alteration to the plan. Right, right. You know, one of the things that's interesting is when you uh, hear someone describe your behavior that's different than seeing your behavior yourself. Uh, it's like the idea of you you have the experience that allows you to really see for yourself, and so the feedback is much is much much more uh, impactful, if you will. I want to move a move a move a conversation a little bit further into your book. There's a number of the concepts that are really important to to pick up on, and I want to do a little of that before we get to our next break. You mentioned the quote unquote gift of adaptability. I thought it would be really helpful for the listeners to hear what that is, but you mentioned the gift of adaptability. What is your view of its power and value for the leader or the learner or the performer? It seemed to be a really important uh, concept, this gift of ad adaptability, that whole notion. So talk with us a little bit about this notion of the gift of adaptability, the brain adaptability. Do that for us. Well, I think one of the things that when we look at, for example, qualified teachers who are not able to guide individuals who are performing at one level mm. to a substantially higher level. Now, the question is, what is happening when somebody, you know, they're the same DNA? Uh, so basically, you have to explain now how they can actually reach this higher level. And that's where we basically focus on in the book and talk about the mental representations because there are methods to understand what somebody is aware of when they're actually maybe sitting in in a meeting or playing uh, on, on a professional uh, uh, sports team, aware of what their teammates are doing and what mm -hmm. the opposing players are doing. And that seems to change dramatically as your ability now to make the right decisions about what you're going to be doing, say, in a meeting or on, on when you have the, the, the ball in basketball. Uh, and, and that basically then requires the changes of the brain. And we're now starting to understand here how the brain can rewire itself way into very late adulthood. Uh, okay. So that's 
presents now kind of the gift of doing this, the problem or the challenge is that it doesn't happen automatically. Okay. You actually have to go through this, you know, actually process of actually changing yourself. Mm-hmm. And we know that that most people like to be already able to do things, but if you can get them motivated now to see what they can achieve, then I think they can really get that sense here of how they can transform themselves and really, you know, reach a level that will make them happier and all the people around them being appreciative here of somebody performing now at a more constructive, productive level. Good deal. I want to ask you too, uh, we got to come up on a break here shortly. This, to me, as I was reading your book and thinking about uh, this particular part of our discussion, there seems to be a connection uh, or a, a combination uh, of, of of relationships between adaptability and deliberate practice. Is there a, a relationship or complementing uh, uh, integration between the notion of adaptability and deliberate practice? In your mind? Well, we would argue that deliberate practice is the most effective form of actually changing and thereby express adaptability of your behavior and your performance. Okay, uh, okay. So, so basically, you have to find some way to improve, and we know a lot here from the sports domain where most people actually have a better intuition here of if you want to improve the speed... We- when you're a runner, you have to do certain things. Yeah, we're going to come up on a break here, Doc, uh, Anders, if you will. And, and so I'm going to ask uh, that you hold on with us and pick up our conversation after the break. Uh, so stay tuned. You're listening to the Leadership Forum, and we'll be right back after a break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
are tuned in to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. To reach host Bernard E. Robinson or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you would rather send an email, you may send it to leadershipforum at ihdinc.org. Now, back to the Leadership Forum. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for staying tuned with us. If you're just joining us, you've tuned into the Leadership Forum, and you're uh, you're going to be enjoying the rest of our discussion with uh, Anders Erickson, Dr. Erickson, who is a professor of psychology at Florida State University, where, which I found out he's been there for 30 years, in fact. And we're discussing his most recent book, Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise, uh, which was co-authored with Robert Poole. We were we were just uh, ending with a discussion of, of deliberate practice and the adaptability. Now, I want to pull us into a discussion about high performance. And one of the things all leaders talk about, all performers talk about, uh, is something that I want to pick up on. In your book, you mentioned that, quote, unquote, learning isn't a way of reaching one's potential, but rather it is a way of developing it. We can create our own potential. Now, this is a powerful statement and concept, and one that I believe in, in fact. When you're talking about human performance, some of our listeners and others might not fully buy into the notion of creating your own potential. So for the skeptics, as well as just for those who are interested in hearing the the learning, can you give us a sense or an example of why this is your belief that we can create our own potential? Well, I think this is probably the most exciting part, you know, that if you look over historical time, and and maybe sports is sort of the most clearest example where, you know, basically the winners of the Olympic Games, Mm -hmm. you know, were performing at a level that basically is now the qualifying time to be part of the major marathons uh, in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically we have a tremendous shift here in the level of performance in virtually any activity. So that idea that there are actually individual limits uh, seems to not have any basic support. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's more this idea here that if we can refine training methods, that's going to be the way that an individual can elevate their performance. Okay. And I've been looking for things that you can't really change with training, because if you were to find things that are untrainable, then obviously training wouldn't allow you to Mm -hmm. actually reach the highest levels. And and the only thing that I've found that there's really compelling evidence is that body size, uh, Mm -hmm. the length of your bones in your body don't seem to be amenable to training, Mm -hmm. whereas the diameter of the bones... Uh, actually can be changed so for example tennis players they have much thicker bones on the arm when where they hold the tennis racket okay because of the vibrations are actually generating now biochemical responses that lead to growing the bone wow. to minimize its vibrations mm. and and we- for basically all these kinds of things that seems to make a difference to athletes we find here that training can just dramatically change it. And I think it's a good example here of difference between purposeful practice and deliberate practice. Okay. 
So if you wanted to maximize your ability here to dunk the ball in basketball, what most kids would do is try to do that, jump up uh -huh. higher and higher. Right. Well, science shows that a more effective way to improve is actually weight training. So if you actually are weightlifting, you're going to be actually putting more stimulation on your legs than you would if you're just jumping up in the air. Okay. Another thing that actually is more effective than just jumping up in the air is jumping from a height. Because okay. now when you're landing, the basically the stimulation and, uh, and the forces that your legs experience will actually stimulate you know, stronger legs that will then translate into your ability to jump higher. So it almost like you know, almost like a pogo stick, if you will. The 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 whole process of going from heights to the ground and back up is a part of the process of growing one's capacity to 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 jump and to to dunk the ball. Right. So so it's sort of like you're stimulating and activating genes. Mm -hmm. And these genes are actually the things that now change the muscle structure and basically increase now your ability to exert power to actually reach a higher level when you're jumping. Well, Dr. Anders, I must say I'm a basketball fan, and I, I wish I had known this when I was 16. I don't know that I would have made it to the NBA, but I would have loved that. But I noticed the difference between guys like Muggsy Bogues and Spud Webb who were much shorter but who could still – get up high and jump and, and dunk the ball. So th there's encouragement for all of those who happen not to have the height but have the desire and the heart. Let me, uh, let me move uh, our discussion just a bit because there are a couple of other important points, one of which uh, had to do with this whole idea of naive practice. I wanted to make sure I tapped that because what's the difference between naive practice and deliberate practice? Uh, how would you distinguish the two? Well, uh Again, I think maybe an example uh, is going to do the job. Okay. If you're playing doubles tennis and basically you miss a backhand volley, mm -hmm. the game will just keep going on, right? So if right. that happens the next day, are you more likely now to be more able to do that? Mm -hmm. no. no. So if you contrast that now to deliberate practice where you actually have a coach, the coach will actually allow you to stand by the net and actually work on the fundamentals on your backhand volley. And as you're acquiring that, you will now be forced to step back from the net, so you're actually going to have to run up to approach it. And then eventually the coach will actually embed this now in playing. Mm -hmm. And the argument is that a couple of hours with a coach is going to improve your backhand volley much more than, say, 10 years of just playing with your friends, which we would refer to as the naive practice. Because okay, just, yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you off. That sounds because you just, you're just kind of playing if you were playing around. Right. And, and actually, we find now in domain after domain that just playing is not leading you to get better. Okay. It almost seems like it's just allowing you to keep doing what you're doing but not changing it in a favorable direction. Good deal. Good deal. Understood. Purposeful practice. It sounds like purposeful practice has to be well-defined. Uh, it has to have a specific goal or goals in mind. It has to be focused. There has to be feedback. Uh, it involves feedback. And it requires getting out of one's comfort zone. Uh, and the statement that was stood out, one of the statements that stood out for me in reading the book, 
is if you never push yourself beyond your comfort zone, you never improve. It's almost the discussion that you're having earlier where a person begins to fall as they're skating because they're pushing the limits of their capacity to, to, to do whatever it is that they're doing. So it, it, that statement, if you never push yourself, so for the leaders who are listening, you have to have in terms of purposeful practice something that's well-defined, a well-defined target that you're going towards. Uh, that is, that's almost like the, for the teacher, that diagnostic process. But it has to be a specific goal in mind that you're attempting to get uh, accomplished. And it, it, the, the practice must be focused it must be followed with feedback, and it requires that you get out of your comfort zone. Now, I'm making statements that are really taken right out of your uh, your work, Dr. Uh, Erickson, and, and actually I've used this work in some work I've done over the years, not knowing the depth of it uh, with some folks I work with in the military sector. But what would you add as a way of specifically allowing our listeners to know what purposeful practice looks like so they can take that away and say, here's how I'm going to move to make myself better in that particular discipline. Of course, they may want to read your book as well. But share with us, uh, is there anything that you you want to make sure gets stated for the listeners about how to understand and use purposeful practice? Well, you know, I think there are many different levels, but I would argue that the first thing that pretty much anybody can do, uh, and that has to do with seeking out basically uh, feedback, especially feedback about things that you could be doing better. Okay. And I would argue that too many people are just looking for good feedback, you know, mm-hmm. where people are saying that they're great. But that's not going to improve them. And, mm-hmm. and I've applied sort of this in my own research where I've been actually seeking out people who disagree with me uh, just to understand what is it that they actually have problems with. So I now would be able to refine my thinking so I, you know, have a better chance of, of convincing them that, you know, there is some evidence here that really shows that you can actually get these improvements uh, on, on a wide range of domains and, and, and populations. Okay. Now, I, I'm going to be a little self-serving here for just a couple of minutes. I actually am taking Spanish right now. I, well, we start again on the 3rd of October, but I've uh, taken the beginner one, beginner two, and I must admittedly, admittedly say I'm taking it over again. And so uh, I'm going to need to get uh, better, but I'm really interested in it, so it's it's one of those things I'm doing for pleasure. Is there any tip you would give me to say, Bernard, if you're going to study Spanish, here's what I'd suggest you do in terms of applying the science that I know of. So, so what I would do, and, and what uh, a lot of people that I get emails from, is actually finding a teacher who's been working with individuals, basically with your background, uh, who would then be able to kind of help you and then identify when you're actually studying and learning new words and grammatical constructions. Are you actually using this in a way that is the most effective? I just had an email exchange with a language teacher who told me that she found that the ones who were not making as much progress, they were using the more traditional repetition again and again. Dr. Anderson, let me break in on you for just, we're going to be coming up on the end of the show in a minute, so i got about a minute or so for for you to finish this particular thought. Right. So if you're just repeating again and again, 
that's not the most productive way of actually adding vocabulary. But the more that you can actually embed what you're learning now in an image situation where you can actually see objects and you can actually see the kind of interactions that you would have with people, that is going to be a more enriching way that allows you now to accumulate uh, in, in a more uh, you know, productive way, uh, add new vocabulary items and uh, new ways of asking questions and interacting with people. Terrific, terrific. Well, listen, uh, this has been a wonderful discussion and it is much more in the book, so I really want to encourage folks to take a look at Peak uh, Secrets from the Science, the New Science of Expertise, uh, which is authored by, by uh, our guest, Dr. K. Anders Erickson. Again, uh, Dr. Erickson, I want to thank you uh, for sharing this time with me and our listeners. Uh, again, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to it, and it was just a jewel to be able to have a chance to speak to you. Uh, I want to say also, with my golf game, it will be helped a little bit. Uh, I need help. I need both purposeful practice <laughs> and deliberate practice. But I play golf for fun, so I'm not going to be Tiger Woods or anything like that anytime soon. I want to say to our listeners as well that the next week's show is going to be one you do not want to miss. It's called Spotlight on Corporate Leaders and Leadership. Uh, it is the first segment of a segment we'll do each month. And our guest next week will be Rick Edelman. Rick Edelman is the founder and executive chairman of Edelman Financial Services and is widely regarded as one of the top advisors in the field. He was ranked the number one, nation's number one independent financial advisor, three times by Barron's, uh, named the country's, one of the country's top 10 wealth advisors by Forbes in 2016. And he is uh, just a, a solid guy, and he's got a new book called The Truth About Your Future. Uh, you don't want to miss this show. We're going to be talking about leadership, not financial management. Uh, and it's going to be a treat for those who are listening to learn about leadership from one who is leading at the very high level. Not only is he a great person, a great leader, he's approaching the process with a great deal of humility and wisdom. So be sure to visit our host page. Be sure to make sure you look at uh, what we're going to be talking about, uh, the episode is described there. Uh, in the meantime, what I want to say to everyone is, please examine what you've heard today and ask yourself, how can I apply what I've heard on today's show to become more effective as a leader? Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter and on uh, LinkedIn, and you, of course, can send me an email at the email address that was mentioned Leadership Forum at IHDINC.org. Until next time, I want to thank you for being a part of the Leadership Forum. Uh, make someone's life better through the quality of your leadership. Have an outstanding day and an even better week. I'm Bernard Robinson, and you've been a very important member of the Leadership Forum. Please be sure to tune in next week. Be with me on the radio. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Be sure to join Bernard E. Robinson for another edition of the program next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We wish you an outstanding week.